Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Banker Next Door. I'm your host, Dr. Joe Berquist. Uh, today, we're going to be doing the second part of our crypto uh, series, and this is going to be another book review, but this time we're doing Michael Lewis's uh, new book called Going Infinite, which is the story of Sam Bankman-Fried and his, his crypto exchange, FTX, and his, um, I guess you'd call it uh, high-frequency trading a hedge fund called Alameda Research, which both failed spectacularly in October, November of 2022. Um, let's get, I'll tell you what, let's get into the book here. We'll kind of go over the basics here at the moment, and then I'll kind of get into. So the book we're covering today is called Going Infinite by Michael Lewis. And I'm just going to bring this up here. And then, okay, so author here, Michael Lewis. Now, I think a lot of people know who Michael Lewis is. He's a very, very famous author. He's written a lot of stuff over the years. I've been a huge fan of a lot of Michael Lewis's books. Um, everything, you know, kind of starting back with, with Liar's Poker, I think in either the late 80s or early 90s. Uh, and then he, he, you know, wrote, you know, Flash Boys. Obviously, uh, things, you know, Flash Boys is a great book and that I'm going to cover in detail in, in another episode because uh, it is such I think it's such a critical book to read to understanding the markets today. Um, but uh, he also wrote some more, I would call mainstream books, things like The Blind Side, uh, Moneyball, The Big Short. I mean, just a lot of things that a lot of people know and would recognize, even if you're not sure who Michael Lewis is, you, you'll know these stories because they've they've all been made into movies and things over the last few years. Um, and, uh, astonishingly, Michael Lewis was actually with Sam Bankman fried He was writing a, he was going to write a book about him. And so he was with him the whole time during this, the entire collapse last year of the, of the FTX and Alameda research. And, um, you know, so he had a front row seat to this whole thing going down, which is rather amazing. So the book that he ended up writing turned out to be something totally different than I think what he was originally in, intending at the, at the beginning. Um, so Michael Lewis wrote the book. Uh, the book was written this year, 2023. Uh, book is 254 pages, and it covers the rise and fall of Sam Bankman-Fried and his crypto uh, currency exchange, FTX. Um, so what are we going to cover here in this episode today? We're going to talk about Sam Bankman-Fried. We're going to talk about the rise and fall of Al Alameda Research and FTX. We're going to talk a little bit about the crypto craze that turned into the crypto collapse, which ran from about 2016 to 2022. Um, uh, was it all a major money laundering operation and Ponzi scheme? I think that's a very interesting question that that I don't know if we're going to get to the answer to that or not. Um SBF, as, as we all know, was just convicted about a, a week or so ago. He was found guilty on all counts. Uh, he is going to have uh, before, I think, I think his sentencing won't come up for about three or four months. So probably about April or May of next year. But he has a, potentially a whole nother trial uh, coming up on a whole list of other uh, financial charges and things that he's going to have to deal with in the in the coming months. Um, and so I think I think. Um, FT, I think S, uh, I think as we'll call him SBF, Sam Banger Free, we'll call, refer to him as SBF by his initials. It's easier to say. So uh, I think FBS being being found guilty this week, it made it a little bit easier for me to do this book review because of kind of the way the book ends and and some of my my criticisms of the way that Mr. Lewis kind of writes this book. And, and you'll you'll see that as we as we kind of move through here. Um, we've also got some unanswered questions at the end. 
and and ultimately how did all this affect the banking industry at the end of the day now that that's something we're not going we're going to kind of scratch the surface of that a little bit and then we're going to i'll get more into that in the next week or so in the follow-up uh episode on this crypto uh series so before i start to get into the meat of the book uh, I just want to go back to if you haven't seen part one of the series, I suggest you go back and look at that because I kind of cover the uh, I, I cover a book called The Dark Net, which is basically the genesis of Bitcoin, like where Bitcoin came from, why it was developed, uh, the people who had sought to develop it and why they were looking to develop it. Uh, very different than 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 probably what a lot of people think about or or how they you know how they they think about Bitcoin today. Um, now, this part I thought was the because that that book basically covered the time period of, of 2008 from the start of Bitcoin up until about 2014, 2015. Now, this this book in, in a lot of ways picks up because um, Sank Banker Freed, I mean, basically he started Alameda Research in 2017, right as Bitcoin was really starting to take off. And then he started FTX in uh, in I think it was March of, of uh, 2019. And uh, and then FTX just hit hit everything at the right moment and just exploded from there. So this really kind of covers that that crazy crypto period between 2016 to 2022, which ultimately led in in the crypto collapse in the in the summer and fall of 2022. So so that was kind of part one of the series. Now we're getting into part two here, which is going to take us more kind of up to present day. Um, and then in the following series, I'm going to get into and, you know, I'm going to get into how does this all tie in with the banks that failed earlier this year? How do how do we get from the start of Bitcoin to the collapse of of uh, two large regional banks, or actually three large regional banks earlier this year, but two directly, one kind of indirectly. Um, OK, so here we go. So just as just as kind of a recap here on Bitcoin. So uh, in late October 2008. Someone calling himself uh, Satoshi Nakamoto, and who to this day incredibly has kept his identity a secret, published a paper that introduced the idea of Bitcoin. Uh, a Bitcoin was an electronic coin. It existed on a public ledger called a proof of work chain. Each time it was transferred from one person to another, its authenticity was verified by programmers who added the transaction to the public ledger. Those programmers, who would eventually become known as Bitcoin miners, uh, were paid for their work by being given new Bitcoin and so on. Interestingly, the word blockchain is nowhere in the paper. So I kind of mentioned that in the last episode. Uh, but this article, uh, also really good here, uh, a gentleman named Matt Levine uh, wrote an excellent article in Bloomberg Businessweek called The Crypto Story. So that's you know definitely something I've checked out. I would, I would recommend people check that out too. Um, uh, it said, you know, it, one thing it talks about with Bitcoin, uh, which is a payment that, had, you know, at the time had virtually been, uh, ir, you know, irreversible and untraceable. That's not so true today. I think uh, Michael Lewis did a good job of pointing out that, uh, that, you know, crypto sleuths, you know, have built the tools to exploit the fact that every Bitcoin transaction is preserved for all time on the blockchain. So, uh, unfortunately, as we looked at examined in, in our first book was that, you know, part of the reason why that for the creation of, of uh, Bitcoin was that it could not be uh, traced back to any individual it was it was kind of an anonymous device uh, used that people could use to buy things and do so anonymously without anybody being able to tell who it was that was using the money. That's not so true anymore. A lot. Yeah, again, the technology has progressed to a point now where, you know, you have 
tech companies that have developed tools to look at the blockchain and be able to analyze a lot of this stuff that was going on. So, okay. So, and again, just, you know, in 20, by 2016, you know, Bitcoin's price had cracked 400. Uh, we talked about, so in 2013, Bitcoin had kind of jumped up to $100. You'd kind of seen this burst in, in crypto. And then it kind of collapsed a little bit, kind of back down to normal. And then it took about a year or two and kind of, and then in 2016, it it, it just took off again. So um, so basically says, you know, by, by 2017, there had been a shift in the spirit of the movement. Uh, Bitcoin enthusiasts believed that Satoshi had created a replacement for government-backed money, but government-backed money wasn't what Bitcoin most easily replaced. Gambling was. Gambling was. The mad rise in Bitcoin's price in 2017 pulled in a generation of new speculators. It wasn't like the stock market. Anyone in the world who knew how to use a computer could trade crypto at any hour of any day of the week. The new demand for speculative objects encouraged people to create hundreds of new cryptocurrencies. Typically, they were marketed to speculators as an investment in some enterprise, but seldom was the enterprise of any real value. The initial sale of one new crypto coin called EOS raised $4.4 billion. Having nothing useful to do with the money, the founders announced it would be used for asset management. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's kind of startling. So, and as it turned out, the people who set out to eliminate financial intermediaries simply created some new ones of their own, including by early 2019, 254 crypto exchanges. 254 crypto exchanges by 2019. So, and what's crazy about that again is going back to the the first book reviewed was it that you know Satoshi wanted to create a a you know he wanted to create a cryptocurrency that was free from the bonds of of any kind of regulatory authority or the government or banks that there was no middlemen. He wanted to take out the middlemen, and and here it is, boom. 2019, where we're yeah, there, there's now been this entire crypto ecosystem uh, consisting of 254 crypto exchanges that had blown up. So uh, these early crypto exchange founders weren't typical financial experts. Uh, they were a grab bag of technologists and libertarians. There's that word, yeah, libertarians and idealists and high plains drifters. <laughs> um. Okay, so the, the crypto people started turning up around 2017. Uh, the year crypto went boom, they came in two basic flavors. First uh, to come were the originalists who had been drawn to Bitcoin when it was still an old time religion. They were like libertarians who have always worked on their own and who didn't fit in well in big companies because of their views. They had a lot of complaints about people at work, you know, pushing onto them government, uh, pro-government views. They're a little paranoid. The world to them is kind of conspiracy. Um, you know, there was a dog whistle coming out of Bitcoin that attracted these people. Uh, they worked in some regular company, but on the side, they had this interest. They wanted to talk about how they are afraid of government. A lot of times their spouse or their family members didn't want to hear about it anymore. Um, now the rise in the price of Bitcoin ushered into Jordan, into, um, a different type of crypto person. The second crypto type is the person who is young, hip, and wants to make money. This other crypto type was less interesting. Um, uh, they were just worried the government was going to tax their profits at the end of the day. So here you have a transition 
from the original crypto people who were again had this 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 kind of fierce libertarian streak running through them where they were all about well we need to con we need to kind of conceal everything from the government we don't want the government knowing what we're doing and this new generation that had come into crypto here in 2017 and they were just basically saying hey these are just young kind of hip technology people who basically said, hey, we want to come in and we just want to make money. We see the potential here to make huge money with Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. And that's that's what we're that's what we're jumping on. Um, so now we get into kind of the, the story of uh, of Sam Bankman Freed. You know, how did Sam Bankman Freed get involved in all this? And I'm going to kind of run through this very quickly. I think Michael Lewis does a good job in the book of kind of running through things uh, very methodically. But basically, you know, Sam Bankman-Fried had kind of an unusual childhood. You know, he kind of came up. Um, if anybody saw Sam Bankman-Fried on any of his interviews, either on CNBC or or Bloomberg, uh, which that was the, the first time I saw him was probably in his initial Bloomberg interview. And I think the, the initial reaction was like, was like, what what's up with this dude? And if I'm if I'm being honest, uh, I, I've been around enough uh, children and adults in my life that have uh, what I would say like are on the spectrum of autism and have uh, a severe uh, uh, amounts of ADHD. Uh, that was what immediately struck out to me about him. I, I looked at him and I said, oh, my, I said, I think this guy is probably autistic and he probably has severe ADHD. And I think that the, the things in this book basically bring that out. It takes a while. Um, and, and, and in there also lies some of my criticism, but it takes a while, but it, it eventually kind of comes out. So then Sam Bankman Freed, he then goes on, he gets into MIT gets out of MIT, begins to go to work for a high frequency trading firm on Wall Street called uh, Jane Capital or, or maybe Jane Street, Jane Street Capital. And uh, and then from there, so he learns how to trade at Jane Street Capital. And then he basically just he, he comes across kind of crypto one day and decides, hey, uh, he sees, I think, uh, an opportunity for arbitrage, uh, an, arbit an opportunity to kind of, you know, get involved in this new market very early on and make some bucks. And so he gets out there and he starts Alameda Research, which was a, a trading, uh, you know, just basically um, a hedge fund to, to a very real extent and just and basically just trading cryptocurrencies. The fascinating thing is that he gets a huge chunk of money. Uh, first, he gets 30 million and then he gets 150 million. So he's got $170 million to play with in this, in this firm. And he's only been operating it for a couple months. And this guy started with literally, uh, you know, a million dollars, a couple million dollars, which was his bonus that he made while working at uh, Jane Street Capital on Wall Street. And, uh, and I, I just I find that fascinating because I, I don't know that ever in my life that I've ever even heard of somebody showing up on somebody's door and just knocking on the door and saying, oh, hey, uh, yeah, hey, I'm here. I just started this uh, hedge fund uh, three weeks ago or two months ago. And uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm trading cryptocurrency, which again, at the time, very few people knew anything about and like, oh, yeah, by the way, can you give me 170 million bucks? Uh, it, it just seems ludicrous on its face. Uh, but yet he he got he got this money. And then um, and then he had a blow up uh, because of, you know, the the the, the uh, trading software program they had developed and the fact that he wanted to turn this loose. And then they had $4 million that went missing. Um, 
uh, a bunch of the some of the other partners and other employees and people involved really called into question Sam Bankman Fried, his 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 management capabilities, his management style, which, as you can imagine, was was, you know, nil, zero, zip, zada, nothing. Um, he was a very strange guy, very strange individual. Um, and, it, you know, you kind of had this blow up in the hedge fund. But then they 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 kind of worked their way through it. Uh, they eventually they they had some tax issues. They got that resolved. Uh, they found four million dollars that was missing, uh, and then they turned on this. And then with with all the people that exited, uh, Sam was kind of free to do what he wanted. He he turned on this trading this new trading system, and and it started to make them money. Started to make them a lot of money. And so that runs through 2017 into 2018. And then in at the end of 2018, Sam says, hey, uh, he sees Binance. He sees some of these other crypto exchanges. He, he decides to move over to Hong Kong and he starts to get into this crypto world. And now in Asia, the crypto world was was huge. It was enormous in Asia. It was it had really blown up, uh, you know, well before anything was kind of happening in the U.S. I mean, in the U.S., people were buying cryptocurrencies, but they weren't you know, they didn't have uh, cryptocurrency, they didn't have futures exchanges, uh, they didn't have a lot of the things that, that a lot of the exchanges overseas had available to them. So, so Sam basically decides, I want to start a crypto exchange. But while Binance was focused on kind of retail customers, uh, Sam wanted to start a, a an exchange that was basically focused on large um you know, just large in investors. Uh, he wanted to hit the Wall Street. He wanted to get Wall Street involved. He wanted to hit other major hedge funds and high frequency trading firms and private equity. He wanted to get all the big boys involved in his exchange. And that's what he saw as the game changer. And, and he wasn't wrong. He wasn't necessarily wrong in that. So early 2019, he starts FTX. Now, all of the startup capital for FTX came from Alameda Research. And a lot of people had complained at the beginning that it was very difficult to determine where did Alameda Research end and FTX began. In other words, these the, 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 the funds and everything about these two companies were so intertwined and so intermingled from the very start that it just was it just was a was a hot mess. Um, and that continued as as it went on. So. FTX is now blowing up and you've got a situation where now now Sam starts becoming more popular. He starts he's now he's he's doing these interviews on CNBC, he's on Bloomberg. All of a sudden all these people are starting to take notice. And then they get this idea of okay, now we've got all this money, we need to start throwing this money around, we need to start doing publicity, we need to start getting everything out there. And they start throwing money around like crazy, and and now they're 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 paying to get their name on the Miami Heat stadium. Uh, they got deals with Major League Baseball that they paid 165 million in Major League Baseball to have FTX put on the the I think all the umpires uh, shirts or whatever. You know, you got Tom Brady uh, in there doing doing ads for them. You've got all, all this different stuff going on, but then. Then he started throwing money at politicians. Then he started throwing a lot of money around politicians. And here's where a lot of the interesting things really start coming in. He starts having private meetings with the Clintons. He becomes the number two donor to Joe Biden in 2020 for his presidential election. Um, he did now, to be fair, he did uh, give money to other some other Republican politicians, but uh, 
what was his aim in all this? Like, why was he donating all this money? Well, in, in the book, uh, Michael Lewis seems to indicate that his, his premise here was that he wanted to create a legit regulated crypto exchange because he wanted to become the exchange in America. He wanted to, uh, he wanted to be the poster child for how a great crypto exchange would, would run and operate. And he wanted to be totally legit and on the board and he wanted to be regulated, but he also wanted to be regulated in a very favorable way. So he basically starts, you know, throwing around all this money to all these politicians to basically try to win favor so that when the time came for them to regulate the crypto firms that his obviously FTX would would be right there and be able to help to guide the regulation um, and basically set uh, FTX up then as the premier uh, exchange in the U.S. Again, um, you kind of understand that you kind of understand why he's doing that. I mean, there are many companies over the last, you know, hundred years that have, have, have employed uh, very similar strategies. It's just the um, it's the shadiness. It's the underhandedness. It's the, it's the, the really, I think the, 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 the unethical uh, unmoral approach to all of this. Uh, I mean, I, you know, it, again, it's, it's kind of the operating in the shadows throwing this money around. Um, and then this whole thing again, turned out to be a giant, you know, fraud scheme on top of it. So you've got, you know, so now you've got this guy pilfering all this money around to all these politicians. And then this whole thing, you know, blows up and it just doesn't look good. It looks really horrible, right? It, it just, it, it looks really, really bad. Um, uh, you know, he might've had some legitimate reasons for it, but, um, I always cringe when I see any company, uh, start throwing this much money around in political circles. I mean, it's, it's, I think it's, a, I think it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an unethical thing. I think it's, a, it is a very dangerous thing. It's a very dangerous game to play. Um, and it, again, it leads to a lot of the, you know, I think it leads to a lot of the, the hatred toward politicians, you know, oh, here, oh, here we go. Here's, here's a bunch of politicians taking, you know, taking basically bribes or taking money from from this guy to take to give him favorable legislation you know i mean that's basically it right so so and then you know and then we get into um you know ftx at this point is high flying again they're throwing money around for all this sponsorship and these media deals they're throwing money around to all these politicians uh sam sbf is now like the toast of the town and in, you know, going from 2019 to 2020 to 2021, I mean, FTX within an 18 month, two year period of time, I mean, the, this company just literally exploded. I mean, went from nothing to having a billion dollars in profit in 2021. I mean, a billion dollars in profit in two years. I mean, it's just absolutely incredible. And then, and then they talk about how you know, Forbes tried to do an article on him where they tried to evaluate his net worth. And I think they they estimated his net worth at like twenty four and a half billion dollars. It was the uh, the fastest they the, the guy from Forbes basically said it was the fastest that they had ever seen anybody accumulate that kind of money. He was the wealthiest person in the world under the age of 30. Um, and so, I mean, this guy just completely came out of nowhere. Now, now you get to the end. OK, Cri you know, crypto, the crypto bubble burst over the summer of 2022 
and and now FTX is in major problems and there's there's all kinds of things going on in October that suggests that FTX has a lot of problems and then finally it culminates in early November of the complete uh, collapse of FTX and Alameda Research and the shutdown and now you know we've got eight billion dollars missing and you know where did that where did that money go? Um, and I just want to get into the the back here. I want to read you guys uh, some of the ex excerpts here. So if I can find the page here I'm looking for, sorry, one second here. Um, so enter John Ray. So John Ray was the guy who was hired to be the new CEO of FTX to basically handle the bankruptcy. Um, and so John Ray comes in and he's made the new CEO and this and this guy is is what you would call a uh yeah uh, no nah, well wildcat no he's he's just he's like a banger he's like a workout guy he's a workout bankruptcy expert guy he comes in so uh and this guy had some some very choice words he, this this guy was i would describe john ray as, a, as an old school very uh no nonsense you know you know probably has a very black and white uh kind of view of the world and you know see things as either good or bad with very little shades of gray in, involved so and he goes you know when you start looking at the kid said ray the kid being sam i looked at his picture and thought there's something wrong going on with him <laughs> um nishad singh struck him as a naive guy he's narrow said ray it's tech 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 uh there's never a problem he can't solve he's he's not going to steal money he's not going to do anything wrong but he has no idea what's going on around him you ask him for a steak and he puts his head up the bull's, bull's butt. <laughs> Caroline Ellison, he described her as she's cold as ice. Uh, you had to buy words by the vowel, an obvious, complete effing weirdo. <laughs> um, and then he goes on to say about, 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 F, uh, uh, about SBF, uh, there's people that are born criminals and there's people that become criminals. I think he became a criminal. The how and the why he became a criminal, I don't know. I think maybe it takes an understanding of this kid and his parents. Um, and and here's and, and I think this is to me the most the most damning and the biggest part. So Ray says there was no structure, no list of employees, no org chart. Six days into his new job, Ray filed a report with the U.S. Bankruptcy Court for the District of Delaware. Never in my career have I seen such a complete failure of corporate controls and such a complete absence of trustworthy financial information as occurred as occurred here. Um, I mean that's pre that's pretty that's pretty incredible. That's pretty crazy. And uh, and I think the the companies that he've hired have uh, seemingly been able to recover some of the money. But the the question became is like, well, yeah, where did where did all that money go? Well, I mean, again, you know, when you're running a Ponzi scheme and you're laundering money, uh, a lot of that money is going to go, you know, go kaput. But I think there's a lot of unanswered questions here at the end of the day. Like, yes, Sam Bagman-Fried was found guilty, but I, I think that, you know, there have been reports that, you know, that uh, FTX was laundering money uh, out of Ukraine and then laundering it back to the Democratic Party as part of those political donations that he was making. We we don't really, I think, know enough about that or have enough of a background on that yet. Uh, so th those are things that still need to be answered. Like, you know, uh, John Ray described the operation. My question is, was that was that intentional? 
was the company and did did uh, Sam Bankman Fried do that on purpose? One of the things we talked about in the first book was how we had to do was uh, the original people working the kind of creation of uh, the Darknet really wanted to have encrypted email. Well, Sam Bankman Fried used an encrypted email called Signal which all of the main employees there at FTX and Alameda Research used Signal. So it's been, it was been very difficult for the, um, for the uh, authorities basically investigating this case to determine, well, what a lot of these messages, they're totally encrypted. You can't, you can't read them. Uh, they may never know what a lot of these, these email communications back and forth were doing because this stuff was all encrypted. Um, and again, I mean, again, I think the obvious thing would be to say that like, oh, yeah, well, he, he encrypted all these emails and he, he ran this uh, this this whole company roughshod because, you know, he because it was a criminal enterprise and he wanted to hide things. And in, in case things blew up one day, this was his this was kind of his backup plan. Now, and, and here's where my criticism of Michael Lewis comes into play. I, again, I love Michael Lewis. I'm a huge fan of him. Uh, I think he took it way, way too easy on Sam Bankman Freed in this book. I think he, I think he tried to make it the, throughout the entire book. He's just making excuse after excuse. Oh, well, he's a good guy. And, you know, he just wasn't really understood by people. And, you know, he didn't really lose the $8.6 billion. All the money's still there. And this and everything. Well, you know, it's kind of like, well, dude, if it's still there, then why did this guy just get convicted of all charges? Why are there why are there thousands of investors out there that are still out billions of dollars of money? Like where where's where's it all at, man? If it if it if if the money was never stolen, it was just there, it's just lying in some encrypted crypto wallet. Like, okay, well then why didn't Sam Bankman Fried just go, okay, hey, I'm I'm gonna open up all the crypto wallets and get all the money back and give it back to everybody? Like it it didn't happen that way because the money's not there. The money was stolen. It was, a, it was, a, it was, he was running a classic old Ponzi scheme. The question is uh, what was the extent to the money laundering that was going on there? But um, so, and again, and, and, and I think what's fascinating about this case is that there, there are so many things to talk about here. And, and I think, and, and what I'm going to have to talk about more is kind of the, the crypto ecosystem that that formulated and how high frequency trading firms and private equity and hedge funds fit fit into all this how the how the banking system fit into all this um because ultimately that's where we're going with this this is where this is where we we come out the other end of this how did this collapse of crypto how did this all lead to the collapse of these other banks earlier this year and that's where we're going to go in the in the next couple of uh episodes that come out here or in the next couple of weeks as we continue to kind of investigate this thing but um, but overall, so what was my rating for this book here at the end of the day? Well, I would say that I probably give this book four stars out of five. Um, there's my little rating there. Here it is. I probably give this book four stars out of five. Uh, again, love Michael Lewis. I think, I think, you know, his writing is great. His research is great. He, he did a really good job for this book. My only criticism was I thought that he really took it too easy on Sam Bankman Freed. Uh, I really thought that he, it felt like he was apologizing and making excuses for him through the entire book as you were reading it. And there were a lot of things that were just kind of, I think any, any person who, who kind of came across uh, SBF on the street or just looked at him would, would immediately would have had some red flags and would have said, well, wait a minute, there's something's kind of going on with this dude. Like something's not right here. And, and all those things that you think, they're in the book. It just it take it, it takes him 
a while to kind of pull these things out, but he pull he, they're there and he does pull them out and they're, they're like, they're again, the red flags are there. Uh, he just doesn't acknowledge them for whatever reason. I'm not sure why he, uh, why he did that, but, uh, but again, uh, I hope I hope everybody kind of liked this book review. I hope people enjoyed the the second part of this crypto series. I would definitely say go back and check out the first part. And then again, we're this is building blocks. We're gonna we're gonna build on this. So I kind of took you through start to finish with these two books from the Genesis up to today to where we're at. Uh, the next couple of uh, installments, we're gonna get into the crypto collapse in 2022 and then how that ultimately led into the bank and collapse here in 2023. And then finally kind of where are we at with all this today? Where's this, you know, are we, are we, you know, and then I think we're also gonna get into central bank digital currencies, how they ultimately play into all this at the end of the day. And, uh, and I think we're going to have some really good uh, discussions there on that as well. So if you like this episode, please give a thumbs up. Uh, definitely, definitely subscribe. That always helps the channel. Uh, please leave a comment below. I'd be happy to get back to you on any thoughts or, or things that you, that you might have on this book or uh, just cryptocurrency in general, uh, where things are at, where they're going, etc. And make sure to check us out on, on YouTube and Rumble and all major podcast platforms. And uh, hope to be back and see everybody again real soon. Thanks a lot.